is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert, don't call me Rob, Brokamp. In this episode, we're joined by Andy Cross, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer. We're going to talk about the year that was and the year that lies ahead and some investing advice. Should be fun. All right. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, Allison, what is up? Well, bro. Andy Cross, the Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool, is going to join us later on the show to talk about putting 2020 in perspective as an investor. So I thought it might help if we just take a quick look back at the year, remember some of the highs and lows. So I've cobbled this together uh, from a few sources, including um, Visual Capital, um, Capitalist, CNN, CBS, uh, just all the news sources. So because it's, I forgot that a lot of these things happened in the last 12 months, oddly enough. So here we go. In January, we were too busy being horrified by images of Australia in flames to pay much mind to the pandemic that was brewing in China. The fires in New South Wales raged on for nearly 80 days, displacing or killing nearly 3 billion animals. Oh, my goodness. I know. Also, Kobe Bryant, along with his daughter and five others, tragically died in a helicopter crash on their way to a youth basketball tournament. That feels like a million years ago. Yeah, it really does. January. All right. In February, Trump was impeached for the first time and eventually acquitted by the Senate of charges of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Meanwhile, COVID-19 continued to spread. While we may never know the name of patient zero, in March, we learned about South Korea's patient 31 and the devastating effects of a super spreader. One person spread the virus to as many as 1,160 fellow Koreans. Wow. And we're off to the races, by which I mean just starting to get an inkling that things could get really bad. Because in March, the S&P 500 erased over a third of its value in under a month, the fastest 30% decline ever recorded on the benchmark index. I'm just now learning that some genius coined the phrase beach stocks. I cannot believe I've not been using this all year. Beach stocks, booking, entertainment, airlines, cruises, casinos, and hotels. I could have been saying beach stocks this whole year. (laughs) I've never heard about it until now either. Oh, genius. All right. Well, it's sad because beach stocks were hardest hit, losing. Actually, you could say breach stocks and then get restaurants in there too. But beach is true. So, all right. We'll, We'll stuff them in under entertainment. All right. Beach or breach stocks lost 332 billion in value in one month. Things here kind of become a blur for me personally because everyone was just like baking bread, pondering the next case scenarios if they ran out of toilet paper, doom scrolling. There was lots of talk about flattening the curve. Dr. Fauci became a celebrity, as did Dr. Deborah Birx's many scarves. In April, we began to see the devastation of the pandemic in the job market. 22 million people filed for unemployment. But then the stimulus checks came to the rescue. The CARES Act delivered $2 trillion to help Americans weather the storm. In case you forgot, $603 billion went to individuals, $500 billion went to large corporations, $377 billion went to small businesses, $339 billion went to small governments, and about $180 billion went to public services like hospitals. Also in April, oil prices went negative for the first time in history. Futures contracts for WTI oil fell to a stunning negative $37.63 on April 20. That means producers were actually paying traders to take oil off their hands. 
April showers brought May social unrest. After the killing of George Floyd on May 25 by police, the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project recorded over 7,750 Black Lives Matter link demonstrations over a three-month span. Meanwhile, in a reversal of fortune, work-from-home stocks soared. For example, Zoom's market cap skyrocketed to eclipse the top seven airlines by revenue combined. Actually, anything from home did well. So that was nice. As some stocks soared, people grew bored. No sports to bet on. We'll try the stock market. More than 10 million brokerage accounts were open in 2020. While Robinhood became the poster child for the movement, traffic to TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, and other brokers doubled their website traffic. Uh, But it wasn't all fun and games, of course. In June, a 20-year-old customer died by suicide after seeing a negative balance of $730,000 in his Robinhood account. That still stuns me. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a sad story. Okay. In July, Tesla became the most valuable automaker. Did we ever think we would be saying that? It will later go on to join the S&P 500, and Tesla's market cap will increase by more than $500 billion before 2020 is over. For weird news in July, people reported receiving seeds from China in the mail, including mustard, cabbage, morning glory rose, hibiscus, and mint. It was weird. Whatever. Moving on. In August, a huge fuel tank explosion in Beirut, Lebanon, killed more than 178 people, left more than 6,500 injured and 300,000 people homeless. The most active year on record for wildfires kicked up in the western U.S. states, devastating parts of California and Oregon. And in business news, the shortest bear market in history ended on August 18 when the S&P 500 exceeded previous February highs. On to September. Weather forecasters had started to dig into the Greek alphabet after running out of names for tropical storms and hurricanes. The 2020 Atlantic hurricane season spawned roughly 30 tropical storms, breaking the former record set in 2005 of 28 storms. We also lost human rights hurricane Chief Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg in September. COVID breached the Oval Office wall in October as Trump and roughly 25 people in his orbit came down with the coronavirus. November brought the presidential election, and that was a whole thing. I don't need to remind you. (laughs) And finally in December, amidst the third wave of COVID cases, a literal shot in the arm came as vaccines started being distributed in the U.S. So yeah, it was a heck of a year. Not only everything I just mentioned happened, but everyone on the Answers crew had a family member or someone close to them die. What? Crazy. Oh, there were some weeks I'm not really sure how we got the show. <laughs> we did it. We did it. And I'll do it all over again in 2021. So yeah, bro, that's what was up in 2020. As Allison just reminded us, 2020 was quite a year for many reasons, but one being that it was an exciting and interesting time to be an investor. The S&P 500 was up almost 20%. The NASDAQ was up more than 40%. Even boring old bonds returned more than 7%. And last year was just one in a string of good years. In fact, the S&P 500 has posted a negative return in just one year since 2008. And that was just a measly 4.5% decline in 2018. So it has lost money in just one of the past 12 years, whereas if you look at the average annual return since 1926, the market loses money in about one out of every four. So pretty remarkable. 
Given this exceptional run and the unique times we're living in, we thought it would be a great time to bring in one of the Fool's most experienced and respected investors, the company's chief investment officer, Andy Cross. Andy, welcome back to Motley Fool Answers. Yay! Yay! Hey, hey Allison, that's that's a very kind intro, uh, Robert. Thank you for those those nice words. Yes, it's uh, it's been an incredible run for uh, for me here at the Motley Fool, just uh, just to be at, at this wonderful organization. So just to give people an idea of your tenure, the Fool now has 564 employees. If we were to list them all by their tenure, do you know where you'd fall? So when I started, I was the 19th employee. And so I think I would probably be, I might crack the top five. I'm close to the top five. Four, Very four close. or five, I would say. Very close. Number six. And that Number includes- six? I can't even get into the top five? Who do that, I got to kill? That includes Tom and David, by the way. So. Who do I have to get rid of? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. <laughs> Who's got to go? Uh, well, that's, hey, I'll take it. Top six is pretty good in this organization. Yes. it's um. So yeah, since 1996, I've been- Yep. So we're coming up on your 25-year anniversary this year. By the way, I'm number 27. Rick, I don't know if you, you know, but you, I don't know you, but you've got to be top 40. Allison hasn't been here as long, but she just celebrated her 10-year full anniversary. Yeah, yeah, 10 years. Congratulations. Time yeah. flies, huh? Excellent. Yeah. So we have some veteran fools, but you're the most veteran, Andy, and the CEO. So what stands out to you when you look back at 2020? Well, gosh, uh, what an incredible year, really. And, um, you know, it seems like if you just go back every 10 years, it seems almost like we've we've seen these incredible um, years starting just go back from 2000 with the the tech bubble bursting, then we have 2008, and then we have 2020 with an incredible um, uh, year that really tore the social fabric, economic fabric, financial fabric, um, political fabric of our our society, as Allison pointed out in so so many great ways in in her piece. So, um, you know, when I think about the markets in general and for investors, we saw a massive amount of, of new investors come into the market, which in so many ways is great, Robert. That's great to see so many investors get into um, to, to investing in stocks, which we think and we've demonstrated over the years is one of the greatest ways to create wealth for for regular regular people out there to be able to to, to truly embrace the best of of investing. Um, so I, I hope they're doing that. Uh, I'm a little worried that maybe maybe they're not as much. Uh, so so we maybe have some work to do on the education front for that. But but we've seen so many investors go in and we saw the markets just go through this massive volatility in February and March and then very quickly rebound for the most part and just continue to to move higher and higher as as the tailwinds of of investing, especially in companies that are that are leveraging technology and are benefiting from from um, the, the the explosion of, of cloud computing and the the remote workforce and distributed tools for those companies that have the flexibility to do that and to benefit from so many of us um, being in quarantine and um, being more online than on the streets. So we saw the markets rebound, gosh, seventy percent from those lows in March, and that's just been an incredible return for for investors who truly, hopefully, have had the patience to. To, to withstand the volatility we saw in 2020. Yeah, to, to go on the hit on that topic of the new investors. I mean, what we look back on is is Robinhood, or as Allison mentioned, every other brokerage also saw increased interest. I mean, if you were talking to a group of people who who just started investing last year, what would you say to them? Would you should they expect that that was normal? Oh my gosh, no! So, so uh, of course that that year was was not normal. And I think if you just started investing in 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 um, March, April, 
the, the summertime, really. Uh, uh, first of all, again, congratulations. That's great to get started. Um, you have seen these dramatic returns in almost all so many asset classes. Um, growth, obviously, last year was the big winner, um, as it has been in t- for the past five years or so. Um, just looking at some of the asset class performance, the, the, the wide category of growth has really been the dominant story of the last five years. Um, it hadn't always been that case, but it certainly has been for the past few years. So, so many assets really did perform so well, Robert, as you talked about at the beginning of your piece of the intro for today. Um, so you can't always expect that. We know markets every year or so fall 10%, every couple of years, 15%, every four years, they may fall 20%, and every decade, maybe 30%, as we saw this year. So really understanding how markets work, the ability to invest, to be able to be patient with your investing. My worry with so many new people coming in is there's so much trading going on. If you look at so much trading going on, we just saw in December, reports are coming out that the massive amounts of trading activity we're seeing in the over the market uh, place of the uh, of investing, which is not on the Nasdaq or the NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange, but these are much more a little bit less um, structured and, and regulated um, and uh, sophisticated markets. We saw the trading activity in December go over a trillion shares in December, which is a record. We haven't seen that in in the past ten years, and a lot of that is in penny stocks. And that's my big worry is you have so many individual investors now who are getting in and they're just not thinking about investing as truly buying great companies and holding them. They're much more thinking about trading them. So we're seeing these massive um, uh, uh, numbers of investors go into these smaller parts, less liquid, less transparent parts of the market, penny stocks, and using it much more as trading vehicles to try to find uh, these these quick gains. And that's that's really dangerous to think about. And and if you've had success doing that, um, it it just, it tends to be much more ephemeral than long-term success. It reminds me of like the dot-com bust, right? Like it's possible that there's so many young people getting into the market that they were too young to remember the dot-com boom and bust and how everyone was trading and everyone was everyone was making money hand over fist and then suddenly everyone wasn't. Yeah, Allison, it isn't, I will note though, um, so much of the market's overall gains in the S&P 500 and some of the large asset class isn't necessarily driven by the Rob, the so-called Robinhood investors. Um, they, they, on the fringes and on the margins, maybe they've had an impact to be able to to be a catalyst for for algorithms or whatever, so it's it, it to, that's have driven the prices higher. So it's not that's not so much them where they are having an impact is on certain stocks, certain asset classes, and like I said before, and like some reports are coming out, just that in some of these less liquid penny stocks, more um, obscure markets, over the counter and pink sheets, where they are really getting in there, do a lot of trading. That's what's a little bit dangerous. So um, and that that does in some ways remind me a little bit of the tech boom of ninety nine and two thousand, and and um, hopefully it doesn't end as badly as that did. But but that's that's a worry. So it's not too late to think. If you have taken that approach, it's not too late. You can you can pivot. It just it does take education, it does take understanding that really truly drives long term market gains. As Robert said, the stock market has done has done very well um, over over the long term, um, and even over the, over the short term, it tends to do to do to do well. It's just that you you're not going to get a double in a, in a month that maybe some people have gotten um, this year. Which which the curse of the successful, I guess, is is the the the, the scare there. Yeah, overconfidence. And then when the tide does eventually go out, as the old, to, to butcher the Buffett adage, um, swimming you know, naked. You'll, you'll see who's swimming naked. Uh, since Allison brought up the dot com bust, you, you're hearing more about that these days because of other 
comparisons, other similarities, mostly being um, the outperformance of tech, the outperformance of the NASDAQ, the S&P 500 is becoming more concentrated in its largest holdings. Um, when you hear th- those types of comparisons, do you put much weight into them? Uh, I, I, I do. They're data points. And as an analyst, um, first and foremost, I, I, I analyze data and um, and companies. and that So that goes into it. And that goes into the fact. And that's one reason why I think on so many of our services, especially in our uh, real money portfolio services that we run at The Motley Fool, um, we've been um, uh, advocating and encouraging people to hold some cash on the sidelines uh, that um, to, to help um, damper their the volatility perhaps in their portfolio, but also that prices have really um, been quite extraordinary uh, in performance and rebounding. As I mentioned, that 70% gain in the S&P 500, NASDAQ's been even better in tech stocks, even better than the overall NASDAQ. So many tech stocks overall better than the overall NASDAQ. So um, I do I do, I do, do consider, Robert, it's obviously different times and the most dangerous words in investing is it's different this time. But but I think it's important to recognize that and understand that, that markets do have ebbs and flows to them. And and so many, if you haven't experienced that before, and and even if you um, didn't experience what we had in February and March, understanding that, you know, within the next five years, we could see another, um, you know, uh, 20, 30% drop. I'm not necessarily, I'm not making that prediction, but, but history tells us, and we have seen a lot of money starting to chase fewer and fewer assets as, as even though the IPO market, which is also another highlight of the year of 2020. We saw more than 400 IPOs come out really after it froze in February and March. So a lot of activity, new activity coming into the markets. Um, when that happens, the, the long-term trends tend to be not quite as good um, as when there's not as much activity in the markets and, and there's not as much um, encouragement to to get invested. So again, you have more and more people, more and more dollars chasing fewer and fewer assets that has helped bid up prices as well as low interest rates. We can't forget that in in federal monetary policy. But um, that does point to some some parallels with with the late tech, um, the late 99 and 2000 period. But understanding that, okay, there's okay, there, there's ways to invest in that properly. And um, and if you can set up your portfolio and your mentality the right way, you can survive that kind of um, market condition. Yeah, I, I would say interest rates for me are, are one of the big differences. You know, now the 10-year is yielding 1%. Back then, the 10-year was yielding between 6 and 7%, which sounds outrageous now. But you could think, well, Back then, you could be like, okay, I'm going to sell some of my stocks, invest in treasuries, and make a guaranteed 6 to 7%. Uh, these days, if you want to not be in stocks, you get a guaranteed nothing to 1%. And I think that probably will certainly encourage some people to hold on more than maybe they would have back then. Yeah, it's really interesting, too. You also have far more... Um, um um, interest and political backing of the Federal Reserve to, to to be much more active in the markets, and that's contributed to those low interest rates as we've seen over the last few years. The Fed, the Federal Reserve balance sheet has doubled this year alone as they've been very aggressive into the markets, and rightly so because of the conditions we saw and the the economic conditions to help um, really basically stave off a. Uh, we had a recession, but stave off a financial banking crisis, which when when assets and money froze up in February and March. But the Federal Reserve's balance sheet is now more than seven trillion, or around seven trillion dollars from from less than four at the end of December, and that's because they're out there buying so many assets, driving um, those interest rates, uh, continuing to, to to support those low interest rates. So you have a Fed that's much more willing to be aggressive than I think we saw in the late ni- in the nineties. You mentioned how uh, certain types of stocks are doing particularly well. 
Uh, and, and fortunately for The Motley Fool, we've, we've often recommended these stocks. So you have many of our members and maybe listeners who've owned some of these stocks for a long time. The Netflixes, uh, Amazon, Tesla, uh, Zoom more recently. And they're finding themselves with these stocks that now make up a significant portion of their portfolio. So what's your take on how much is too much to have in a single company or a single sector? Tom and I, Tom Gardner and I talk about this question a lot, Robert, and with our analyst team. And um, it, it obviously the answer, the, the cop-out answer is it depends on someone's portfolio and where you are in your investing cycle and what you need the money for and the kinds of port, kinds of holdings you do hold. Um, and we have, we have uh, in so many of our real money portfolios that I mentioned before, if you look at those model portfolios, some of them get very concentrated. We have one portfolio that has more than probably 20% of its of its um, position in one stock, uh, and, and that's not that that not, not all of them, um, but some of them do run more concentrated. And that's again because those stocks have either either allocated to them appropriately um, or more so, and the stocks have outperformed and done very very well. You just look at the companies like Tesla that's gone up seven hundred percent in value, and we've been buying it and owning that in many of our portfolios, and the same for the likes of Shopify or um, perhaps even Fiverr, a smaller cap stock. So. Um, it really depends on the individual. Um, I would say um, the the the, and I do have some positions. Um, Home Depot, Berkshire Hathaway, that were have always been larger positions in my portfolio, and I use those as more of kind of the stable part of my portfolio. And what I've been doing over the past year, year and a half, is rounding out that with a lot more aggressive growth companies, a lot more smaller cap companies, and ones that I've been meaning to own and follow for so many years, and and got some advantage of very good prices in 2020 to round out that part of my portfolio. So if you understand your company really well, the higher percentage you have in that portfolio, in your portfolio of a company or an industry, but let's just say company, you have to be more and more comfortable understanding that company and understanding the risk that that brings to your portfolio if that company under and that stock underperforms. If that stock falls 30 or 35% like we saw in February and March, um, but the rest of the market does not fall that much because that stock has... Um, for whatever reason, reported poor earnings or just started to, to face competition, whatever it might be. I mean, just look at Zoom Video, right? We've seen Zoom Video pull back 35% from its highs earlier last year. So um, I think it's under, you have to understand how that impacts your portfolio and then what that does to your mental capacity. Because the last thing you want to do is be scared out of the markets when you have one of your stocks go through a volatile period. And if 5% kicks that off, if 10% of your portfolio, 15%, whatever that number is, you can just kind of run that through your mind and understand how that's going to impact your portfolio and whether that's going to scare you or encourage you to buy more and go shopping. Yeah, last week on the show, we had Sean and Megan, and they said something that was pretty fascinating to me is that Motley Fool investors in general tend to be a bit more accepting of risk and excited by it. And they're they're, um, But as Sean and Megan pointed out, and they're going to have, you know, be working with people who have higher, you know, kind of higher net worth and been doing this a while. For a lot of our members, like they just carve off this amount of money and it's their play money. And they could be 100% in Tesla and totally fine because you know what? Either I'm going to leave that money to my kids or I'm going to go buy a new Tesla or two or three or four. And so I think it's I, it, it was interesting to me because it made me realize for some people, um, they have their play money and they can be super aggressive. And for others like myself, um, we, we work, we play a little bit more around the fringes and, you know, we maybe couldn't take such a, such so much risk and so much loss and everyone's situation is so different. 
Yeah, it's true. And obviously, um, Sean and Megan far smarter than I am when it comes to the allocation um, uh, thinking through, and that those points are, are so well said. It also depends on what other assets you have. And Robert, we've talked about this before, and other income you have coming in. Um, so the, the the more um, concentrated you have in your portfolio in a stock or an industry, obviously the higher the risk potential for increased volatility your portfolio is going to going to be and perhaps even permanent loss depending on how that how that stock performs and i just think it's helpful for people to think about those through the the lens of of um of of playing the game forward if stocks perform this way because we've seen them perform the other way we've seen them over since um, April, June rebound so aggressively and that's been so nice, but it can go the other way too. And if you didn't experience February and March, and we know, by the way, we have a lot of members as we started doing more and more full live who experienced that and, and, and took it and said, I see this, I'm, I'm ready to continue investing because I have my portfolio set up. I have that cash on the side. I'm ready to go. But if you did not play that forward and how that's going to, how it's going to hit your portfolio. And by the way, our stocks, Robert, as you mentioned, they have performed so well, but they do tend to underperform and perform worse than the market when the market goes through this massive, uh, those, those big um, dislocations and drawdowns. Yeah. For a class I recently took, uh, Speaking of the dot-com crash, I, I looked at that decade from end of 99 to the end of 2009, uh, and many stocks that ended up doing very well eventually really struggled. Apple and Amazon were flat to down for several years. They turned up, but Microsoft, after the end of that first decade of this century, still down more than 40%. The NASDAQ itself was more down more than 40% even after a decade. So I, I, getting back to the very first point about new investors, I do hope that newer investors realize that to go into a bear market and then in a bull market within the same year is is pretty rare. It generally takes three to five years for stocks to recover. Yeah. And 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 um really the 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 um the desire to get these these um five ten um baggers, two five ten baggers, so companies go up two times, five times, ten times in value. Um while we've seen some extraordinary performance, I mentioned Tesla and Fiverr over the past year that are up, you know, six, seven, eight um, times in value. That does that does not typically happen in a year. It takes time, and so it's not just it's it's the buying and the holding. So the buying is one thing; it's the holding that is the other. And you tend to get those companies. You as 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 we've talked about with Spiffy Pops, you tend to really only see Spiffy Pops because you've held those companies for so long that the stocks have appreciated to a point when that stock moves in one day, you get that spiffy pop where it goes up more than the price you paid it. But that it takes time to do that. And I think the concern is for the for the newer investor, especially those who may be a little bit more active in the markets, trying to find those quick gains, they don't have that time perspective. And what we're trying to do is un- help them understand market history, market psychology, understand the ebb and flows of those markets. And the best way to ultimately see those gains is really for the buying and the holding part, not the buying and the trading part. You know, Andy, I'm not necessarily a new investor, but um, I could use a good reminder from you uh, this year because I feel like I was like, okay, well, the market's going to fall again. We're in a global pandemic. It's going to fall. It's going to fall. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and wait and wait and wait. I know. I know. Horrible. Not supposed to time the market. Blah, 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 blah. But then now I feel like I missed the run up on all these stocks. And so I'm like, well, I missed my chance there. Oh, I missed my chance there. And so I need you to um, rem- rem- give me some good words. Well, Allison, <laughs> you're, not, you're, you're not alone. I mean, I think when I look back over the past year or so, my, my biggest 
probably investing personal mistake was not putting money aggressively fast enough in February and uh, sorry, uh, March and April. I started investing a lot, but not not as much as I, you know, looking back to it, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. So, you're, you know, you're not alone. I think we have to give a, we, investing, it's very easy to kick ourselves in investing and look back, um, especially as Robert pointed out, the markets, and as we know, the markets tend to go up three out of every four years in general over long periods of time. Even over rolling periods, one year, the market is up probably 70% of the time, 75% of the time historically. So the markets do tend to go up and we tend to very easily kick ourselves for for missing gains or not doing this or not doing that. So so give yourself a little bit of 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 some slack. Um I will say but again it's not too late. It really does get into um if 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 you are interested in a business and you're following it or you think you know it's I just want to I I, I this this company or whatever is doing very well. I want to own it. Um, it's okay to just start buying a little bit. Just get a little bit going. And if it falls another thirty percent, if it falls thirty percent, you haven't necessarily. Which, by the way, if it does, you, your other stocks are probably down at the same point. If it falls thirty percent, you haven't necessarily um, of um, put yourself um, you know out on the street because you've you know bet your mortgage. Hopefully you're not. Hopefully you're not using margin either. So I would just get started in these companies and then kind of follow along as the as the stocks um, perform or underperform, and then you can make decisions about whether you want to buy a little bit more. But I think it is dangerous, and it's taken me years to start to learn this, and I continue to learn this. I think it is dangerous just to see a stock that's that has run up to a price and then said, you know, now I kind of missed it. I, I don't want to. I don't want to buy that. Institutional investors, professional investors, so to speak, will will, will use that logic all the time. Um, I just think that's different for individual investors because they have different mandates, they have different constituencies. You don't have those. You have yourself. So make sure you have your plan, the money you're going to invest. You don't need for the next three or five years. You can have that in the market. So if that stock does pull down, it's okay. Um, but um, continuing to 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 kind of like um, not get in on something because the, the stock has run up, I think tends to uh, again for long term investors tends to be um, a little bit uh, dangerous. So I but you don't have to go all in at one time. Just so you're buy saying I should go ahead and just buy Peloton? It's fine. You know, it's really interesting. Peloton. I was very bull. I, sorry, I was I was not really excited about that in in March and February, or sorry, early early into the the, the pandemic, um, and then it really performed. And then I started realizing and understanding the real competitive advantages. I think that Peloton has that I I underestimated a little bit, and I still haven't bought it. <laughs> right. So at least I don't think I've bought it. So. Um, it's just it's one of those it's it's one of those times when you study the business and and for whatever reason I haven't quite owned it and I don't I again if it's a business that you like and it's a service that maybe you even use or that you um, start to understand a little better and if you want to own some of it I think it's okay to get a starter position and just just to get some some um, get your dip a toe into that into that Peloton or other other um, water I think is okay. Looking ahead, uh, is there anything that intrigues you and or scares you about 2021 and beyond? 
Uh, well, I mean, in beyond, I, I, I think the, the, the impacts of, of, um, of, of climate will just be the big story of the next um, five to 10 years. I, I know we have a lot of social ills in our, in our, in our company or our country that we continue to, to address and look at. We obviously have fi- financial and fiscal challenges as well too. the debt levels of our company, as I mentioned, just about the, the, the Fed balance sheet, but certainly from a, from a debt to GDP perspective and the amount of, um, of debt that our company, country is, is and consumers continue to ring up but really i think the long-term effects of climate change the impact there um companies are going to spend a, be spending a lot more time we saw a little bit of that into 2020 2020 as allison pointed out with the in, in her piece with the with the, the the australian forest fires but um there, there were more forest fires in record last year um than i think in in, in years if not as a record and burnt more acreage than ever before in the United States or North America. So we've seen the impact there. We saw just these horrible storms also, as, as um, Allison pointed out too. So we've seen just the impacts in that way. Um, that That is going to start to have real consequences for companies and for in, it is for individuals, certainly, but real consequences for companies. And I think investors understanding how their companies are positioned for that, um, how they talk about it, perhaps, how they're thinking about it from a from a strategic level. This is definitely not something that shows up in the quarterly numbers. This is really something that shows up by understanding your companies and your leadership principles. But that's something longer term, Robert, that I think investors are really, we're, we saw it before COVID, but in COVID actually is kind of a little bit of tied to that, it is tied to that in some way. I think that's something that investors are going to will start demanding and start understanding, demanding and um, looking forward towards 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 action to. Um, obviously, in the near term, um, get, getting getting our 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 um, the the health of of citizens and the impact of the of the um, vaccine and starting to think about how that impacts the um, the opening of the economy and what that does for for assets and for um, uh, a little bit towards inflation and what that means for interest rates. I don't expect interest rates to go that much higher, Robert. I just don't think the Fed's going to let it go. Um, we got a little bit of conversation from from Jerome Powell, Powell recently that uh, just it's not something they're going to be flipping on um, anytime soon. Worried about about that um, that 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 um, taper tantrum we may have experienced a few years ago when rates uh, kind of spiked and what that what that meant for for assets and for the economy. So I don't think we're going to see uh, inflation or interest rates creep up um, so dramatically um, in 2021. So as I mentioned, you've been at The Fool for almost 25 years, and you and me as well, actually, are now closer to what people would consider the traditional retirement age than we were when we were these young fools starting our careers. So I'm curious, is there anything you're doing differently with your money nowadays than you were when you were starting out? I'm actually much more um, uh, interested in an aggressive investor than I am now, and I'm not with options or with shorting or with hedging, just really putting a lot more money into work into more companies than ever before. 2020 was by far my most um, active investing uh, year uh, of the past 10 or 15 years, maybe 20 years even, um, where I just bought, I wanted to get a lot ownership in a lot more companies, exposure to a lot more companies, um, to, to follow them along, to see who wins, to, to tie which ones I, I really enjoy following or which ones I really have confidence investing in, and then buying more of those um, down the line. Um, and also, of course, getting my kids in, interested in investing by owning more companies. I've been 
um, helping to broaden their out and starting to build out their own portfolio as well too. So from that regards, a little bit uh, of the reverse. Um, my my t- timeline, maybe I, you know, maybe maybe wrongly, I, I kind of think that I'm going to live for a few more years. So continuing to understand that. Um, hopefully my family and I will for, for many more years and, and I need, um, will need, um, assets to be able to sustain the life that I hope to live someday. And that's going to require, um, that's going to require, um, equities to get there because, um, they're just the returns and, and fix won't get there. I've never been, uh, never owned bonds, um, never really owned bond funds either. So it's just, it's really more equities. Um, I will say I have had a very healthy, um, cash position in our, portfolios and some I put to use in earlier uh, in 2020 when the markets did go through the um, the dislocation and the, the massive drawdowns um, I mentioned not quite as fast enough as I wanted as I should have um, hindsight 2020 again but having that healthy cash position as a way to put money to use down the line but also as a as kind of a little bit of a balance and volatility I, I've I've done that but I haven't positioned more like dividends I haven't really gone more into those those styles uh, of investing um that that maybe I should <laughs> but it's really been I've been pushing more of the growth engine got it uh, so let's close with your best and worst financial decisions could be an investment or could just be something else. So let's start with your worst. What was the worst thing you ever did with your money? Ever? Or like ever. this year? Or well, it depends on how many mistakes you have. I guess. Wow. I have, <laughs> no, I have plenty. I have plenty. I owned Lucent and wrote it all the way up and all the way down. Oh, that's, so, my yeah. best, that's my worst, um, probably my worst investment of all time. Um, and Lucent was speaking about the dot com crash. It was in the among the top ten companies oh, in the S and P five hundred and ninety nine. And now it's. I remember talking to <laughs> Buck Hartzell, another longtime fool who's been here for year, decades, and um, and he owned a little bit of Lucent, and, and we were talking, and um, during the time when the spot, stock had done really well, and he was like, "That's it. I just there, you know, um, um, I'm I'm getting out." And and we looked at the. We're talking about some of the financials or some of the accounting practices, and I it was a very small position, and I, I just had some from my AT and T days, and I just I never did it. And my 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 um to the to the buying and holding, my I'm a very slothful investor when it comes to selling, um, and I sell very very rarely, like many of the Molly full full holdings, and I, because I haven't had the need for that capital, by the way, so I have that I have that flexibility and privilege. So I just kind of held it and then it went down and I kind of just kind of held it. It's a small position just to kind of see how it goes. And I could have, I certainly should have gone out and gotten out of it. And I just kind of wrote it all the way. So that's by far my worst. Um, I bought luck and coffee last year. That was terrible. 2020. Yeah. That was just right. Let us know how terrible it was. (laughs) uh, Right. And although now it's back up to above 10, I will say it got down to as low as, I don't know, two or so like that. So now it's back above 10 and I, I still hold it. Um, so that, again, that's a, I think if you have been investing in the style that, that I invest and that um, that Tom and David have done, say at Stock Advisor, for example, you're going to have those ones that just really underperform. Um, and hopefully you can uh, maybe um, learn, We I, I can learn to maybe sell them before they 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 uh, get really too too poor, but so so I've certainly had mistakes, and I would say th- those. I mean, uh, um, loosen in the in the dot com craze was by far my my worst investment. So um, yeah, and, and I would say just this year, besides Luck and Coffee, which is probably it would not probably is my worst um, buy of last year. I would say just again not not investing um, as much capital as I I should have. I had all the cash set aside, and I just kind of really started doing it very slowly. And 
Allison, I think this, as we talked about, this is a little bit of the trick of people who say, oh, I'll just wait. I'll just wait until the market goes down 30% and then I'll get all in. Then I'll put all my money into it. The problem is when the market's falling that dramatically, there are real problems. And you can very quickly talk yourself out of buying it. Oh, you know what? Gosh, now I'll just wait till just wait till things get a little bit better. Then I'll then I'll go all in. So you just it's constantly saying that then I will, then I will, then I will. And that's why I like the principle of just kind of getting started. And that's actually what I did in so many across so many different companies was I just put, you know, a one or two percent part of my portfolio into all these different companies and just kind of started adding into them. So um so my my worst part is is not doing that fast enough. And the best part? What's the best thing you've ever done with your money? Oh, uh, the best thing I've ever done with my or, money. Or best financial decision you've made. I don't think I've ever sold a share of Home Depot stock, and I've held it since the early 90s. Late, sorry, late 80s. Wow. And I've read it all the way up. Even through the Nardelli days, dark days, I've just kind of held on, and I've reinvested those dividends. And so they've just accrued and accrued and accrued. And now it's the largest position in my portfolio. Um, and I still haven't, haven't, I just kind of sit on it. It's just kind of the rock part of, of my portfolio. Now, eventually I'll start drawing that down um, because it is, it's a large part and I don't expect it to perform as well as so many other opportunities in the market. So, um, so from the, from the investing long-term buy and hold side, that's been a, that's been a great decision. Well, Andy, it has been great to have you on the show again. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you on. We, we, we had you on like last February or March. Well, hopefully, we'll have you on more frequently Oh, yeah, let's in the not future. go so long next time. <laughs> uh, Robert and Allison and Rick Behind the Glass, thank you all so much. It's, it's been a lot of fun, and I really love your show. And thank you for all you're doing for, for so many listeners out there to help them um, get uh, smarter, happier, and richer. Oh, you too. Let me do a quick disclosure here. Uh, as always, The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about. Don't buy and sell stocks based solely on what you heard here. All right, that's the show. It's edited noisily by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. I heard you clomping around before we started here, Rick. Don't deny it. Uh, again, our email is answers at fool.com. Bro wants your financial tips, so send them in. To AnswersAtFull.com? <laughs> to AnswersAtFull.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>